week 13. This is home stretch time. We've got three weeks left, I promise. I actually mapped it out. So uh, I actually looked at it and go, okay, we'll go here and here and here. So we really only have three weeks left in the book of James. This is week 13, and we will wrap it up on week 15 in two weeks. And then we'll be starting some new stuff as we kind of head into the summer. But it's been, a, it's been quite a, a journey. I mean, we have taken 15 weeks. We had a week off for Palm Sunday and Easter when we went to Guatemala. So it's been, you know, a 20-week journey by the time we get to the end of, of really taking this book of James and dissecting it verse by verse by verse. We have not left out one single word as we have poured over it and poured through it. And I don't know how it's been for you, but it's been really good for me because I feel like God has unsettled my life a little bit in this process. And that's really what I've been praying for you all as part of this church is that God would unsettle you as we dive into his truth. I mean, that's sort of always my prayer. Not that, that people would walk out, man, that guy, that guy, what a good word. No, but I want God to unsettle your heart. I want you to walk out being a little frustrated, being a little angry, being a little just convicted that God wants to do something in your life that is dramatic, that he wants to have your entire life. He's calling you to a life of surrender, which is really the picture of the book of James. What would it look like if authentically, as followers of Christ, we said, Jesus, I want to give you my whole heart, my whole life, and surrender everything I am to you, and not hold on to these tiny little pieces and nurse them and, and, and sort of protect them and hoard them and hold them, but instead said, Jesus, everything that I have is yours anyway, and I surrender my life to you. Where you send me, I will go. What you call me to do, I will do. I will say yes to you. What if we lived authentic Christ-following lives? picture the book of James. As I've gone verse by verse and read through and studied and looked and prayed over all these things, God has just unsettled my heart and realized how content, and I realized how content I've become in my mediocre spiritual life. And so the challenge for all of us is to, an authentic life, is to break the mediocrity and step into the life that God has planned for us. So we're into week 13. Um, if you haven't been catching up, you can catch up on the website and look, listen to where we've gone and, and where, where we've been over the past 13 weeks. But just by a quick little recap, for those of you that were running the marathon last week and you know, couldn't make it because you were so tired from those 26.2 miles and so you just missed church, um, quick little recap, two things that I want you to understand that we talked about last week. We dealt with two things that I think all believers have to come face to face with. Um, and one is judgment, how we look at the lives of others. And the other one is pride, how we look at ourselves. And James sort of poured over these things for us, and we really had to explore, you know, what a judgmental heart looks like. And I, I mentioned on this past Sunday that I've never met a Christian that actually believes they're judgmental. All right, no one here would say, oh, I, I live a judgmental life or I'm judgmental, yet the world is full of people that think Christians are judgmental. Everybody that we know that's judgmental, Christians, they always go to that other church, right? They never really are here. And we explored our own hearts and we, we discovered that living a judgmental life or a life that was full of judgment is really about having an inflated view of ourselves and a lack of understanding of who we really are, that we are because God is. That everything in our life belongs to him anyway and that we don't have the luxury or the right to look our eyes upon someone else's life without first realizing that we are sinners saved by grace. That you and I are absolutely and totally lost and without Jesus we are nothing. We explored what that looks like. Then we looked at pride and we talked about pride as sort of being this, this picture that has a really inflated view of ourselves. And we talked about it and being Christ-centered lives and a me-centered life and how James says a me-centered life says, I will work this job, I will go to this city, I will make this much money, this is what I'll do, this is my life plan. And how a Christ-centered life says, God, it's not about me and what I want to do and what I'm going to make and what my plan is, but instead it's about where you have me and where you send me and where I'll go. And we took an honest look about whether our lives are driven by a me-centered 
kind of desire or a Christ-centered desire. And every one of us would say that we're Christ-centered people until God's call comes in conflict with our own desire. And then all of a sudden, we've got a problem. See, we're all willing to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't come in conflict with what we want. And when it does, well, what do we do? We had to deal with that pride. So, so James sort of lays that out there, and, and we really look at those two things. Now, this week, James is going to do something a little bit different. Because all the way up until chapter 5, James is really focused on this one specific audience, these Jewish Christians, these scattered followers of Christ. And he has addressed his entire letter to these people that have followed Jesus. And he is kind of challenging them into this authentic life of saying, what if you gave your whole life away and really lived what you said you believed? Well, for these six verses that we're going to look at this morning, James actually shifts audiences. He actually addresses a different group of people. He addresses a a worldly, wealthy group of lost people. And it's a warning for them. And it would be easy for us to sort of look at it and go, oh, that really doesn't apply to me. But there's a warning in there that I think we need to hear as Christians about guarding our hearts against the things of the world. Because what he's getting ready to tell these rich, wealthy, lost souls is something that if we're not careful, we will fall head over heels into as we have a love affair with the world. So we're going to be in the book of James chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and, and fire it up. Um, we are going to look at the first six verses today and really take this sort of warning that James lays out and dissect it for our own lives and then see if we can't walk away with something that might unsettle our world a little bit. So as we get ready to open James 5, let's take a moment, let's just pray together. Lord, I thank you for the, the hearts and souls that you brought in this room this morning. I gotta thank you for our little church, for the, the heartbeat that these folks have. I thank you for uh, people like Jip and Megan Hubbard who have decided to give their whole life to you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray blessing upon them. And likewise, those of us that are sitting out here that are really dealing with big, difficult life decisions about what happens next or what you're calling me to or where I go. Lord, I pray that we would be people that say yes to you. The entire book of James is about saying yes to Jesus. So Lord, I pray this morning as we think about our worldly possessions and our treasures and our materials and our stuff, that we would have a different look at what it might mean to say yes to Jesus. Take a moment and just pray in your own heart. Just pray that God would move in you. Pray that God would would sweep through your life and do a little bit of cleaning. Pray for someone beside you. Maybe you know them, maybe you don't. Pray that God would move in them this morning. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would take your word and penetrate our hearts. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you, Father. We have an incredibly high view of scripture, of truth. We pray that you would penetrate our hearts with it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, First six verses, remember James has got a new audience now. He's going to be addressing a, a different group of people, which doesn't mean that we don't have to pay attention. We actually have, have an incredible word in here for f- us as followers of Christ that we need to pay attention to, and I'm going to pull that out. But, but he's shifting gears a little bit, and so he's, he's addressed this group of Jewish Christians, and now he's going to shift his attention for just six verses, and then he's going to go right back to addressing these followers of Christ. Um, and this is what he says in James 5, 1 through 6. Now listen You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted 
and, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workmen who now mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Now at first read, this seems kind of out of place. I mean, here is James doing this entire thing about following Christ and giving your life away and surrendering your hearts and dealing with sin and struggle and really instructions for those that are following Jesus. And then right here in verse 5, there's this sort of little outcrop of, oh yeah, but you lost wealthy people, pay attention to. And it almost kind of, uh, if you read it right, you sort of get the sense of, of some of Old Testament warnings that prophets were giving pagan nations. So as a prophet was raised up for the Lord and he would have a word for a pagan nation, he would talk about repent for the day of judgment is near, right? This almost has that same sense. He's saying, now listen, you wealthy lost people. And we know that he's addressing wealth, lost people because he's talking about the day of judgment and misery that's coming, Okay? He's not just addressing, you know, folks that have followed Christ that may have means or have wealth. He's really addressing lost people. He's talking about this day of judgment that is coming. And it'll be really easy for us to gloss over these six verses and kind of move into some of the really great stuff that's coming at the end of chapter 5. But the warning here is really important and we need to hear it. Because all through the book of James, James has been giving warnings to followers of Christ saying, guard your hearts against the world. Guard your hearts against the sin of the world and worldliness against the desire for things. And this he sort of follows up, and there's a warning in here that is really powerful. And So we're going to work through these six verses kind of quickly, and then I'm going to pull some things out that I think we really need to, to hear this morning. But let's take a look and see what James is actually saying in this warning. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because the misery that is coming upon you. He's talking about a day of judgment that's coming. And he uses words, weep and wail. Now those may sound really familiar, and they should, because two weeks ago, Right in chapter 4, verse 9, he was giving this call to, to followers of Christ saying, Listen, weep and mourn and wail. Change your laughter right into gloom and change your, your, you know, your sort of joy into mourning. You remember that whole sort of discussion we had about how our sin should break the heart of God? I mean, should break our hearts because it breaks the heart of God? That he's calling followers of Christ to weep and to mourn and to wail over their own sinfulness. And what he's saying to these sort of rich, lost folks is he's saying, listen, weep and wail because something is coming that you're not ready for, that you are not prepared for. Your sin, your self-indulgence, right, your pursuit of worldly gain, your desire for yourself breaks the heart of God. And he uses the same words, weep and wail, that he does with Christ followers. And it's important here because sin is sin, whether you are a follower of Jesus Christ or whether you are lost as a goose, sin is sin. And it breaks God's heart and it should break our heart. And he reminds people to weep and to wail because there is something coming that we need to pay attention to. And there comes a time in our lives, even as followers of Christ, we have to remember that sin is not cute, it's not funny. It is rebellion and disobedience. Sin is serious. And it separates and breaks our harmony with God. And James says a judgment is coming. And it will bring about misery. In other words, every single one of us will have to stand in front of the Lord and be held accountable for our sin. Now that is a frightening thought for me. 
The only hope is Jesus Christ, right? As followers of Christ, we know that. But he's warning these wealthy, lost people. And it's not just that the wealthy can be lost. That, I mean, anyone can be lost, but that's who he's addressing because worldliness takes its toll on our soul. And he says, prepare for the coming misery. You will stand in judgment before God. Weep and wail. In other words, pay attention to the seriousness of what we're talking about with sin. And I even think sometimes as believers, we don't take sin seriously. We don't take our disobedience seriously. We just kind of say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. The Bible uses words like mourn and wail and brokenhearted. We should pay attention to our sin because it's serious business. Listen to verse 2. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. So we know this, and this is not surprising. We know that worldly things are temporary, right? We've talked about that in here a dozen times. Worldly things are temporary. And, and he's kind of reminding this group of people that the things that they're storing up for themselves are temporary, right? Moths will eat your clothes. Corrosion will take over your finest metals and destroy them. This world is temporary. Now, we have a lot of different ways that we display our wealth to the world here in our culture. Many times we do it through our, our jewelry or through housing or through, you know, cars or what we have or whatever. In those days, it was through clothing. And I think we do that through clothes too, but, but really it's not kind of as prevalent as it was. In those days, the clothing you wore defined the kind of life you lived. So if you had colors on your clothing, it meant that you could afford clothes that were dyed or fabrics that were nice, and they were incredibly expensive, you know. And so the things that you wore defined who you were and what your wealth status was. And he just basically reminding these folks that moths, right, moths will come and eat holes and even in your finest clothes, and that the elements will corrode away all your stored up gold and silver. In other words, this stuff is temporary. You and I know that. But the warning for the rich and the warning for the rich and lost is that this world, this stuff is temporary. Remember James last week? We talked about who are we? Our life is but a mist. Those of you that were here, remember that James said, who are you that you get to decide what you, where you go and where you think you belong? Your life is but a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. And I mentioned yesterday that a lot of us think we're more important than we are, or last week a lot of us think we're more important than we are, but in the scheme of God's plan, we're vapor. Vapor. And James says these things are temporary. Whatever you're holding on to, it can be gone at any moment. Some of us have been through those things. You've been through a time where you had an overabundance of stuff, and maybe you're in a time now where you don't even know what happened, but it just sort of all filtered through your fingers. Or in an instance, you lost a job, or your family went through a trial, and everything you had stored up, had to be spent on that thing. Or maybe you made a silly decision. Anyway, wealth and things are temporary, right? James is reminding, he's saying, listen, all right, this stuff, this clothes, moths and rust and corrosion, they're all going to destroy it. The Bible talks about all the time about storing up worldly things. Verse 4, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Basically, James is saying, listen, in your pursuit of stuff, money, things, material, You've gone blind to the people that helped you build this empire, if you will, right? You have neglected the very people around you, the people that have helped you, mowed your fields, taken care of you, and they have cried out to the Lord, and the Lord has heard their cry, basically saying, God knows how you treat people. 
and I'll mention this in a minute, but a lot of times when we pursue our selfishness and our gains and our own desires and our own worldly things, we go blind to the people around us. I'll mention it again in a second. Listen to this, verse 5. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, right? You have fattened yourself for the day of the slaughter. This is a, kind of a, uh, an interesting, powerful verse because he says, listen, you've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. And you have continued to fatten yourself on the very day of your death. You know, think about cattle. They don't know the coming slaughter that they face and they eat and they eat and they eat and they fatten themselves up. They are living in ignorance. Not their fault, they just are. And James says, like a, a fattened cow, you continue to eat and be selfish and be selfish and you don't understand the destruction that is coming to your soul because you will face judgment, right? Yet you continue in your selfish ways to stuff your life full of things, realizing that, without realizing that your destruction's coming. Now these are really powerful warnings because what James is saying in a nutshell here is that, listen, there is a judgment that is coming and you will be held accountable for your sin. The only hope is in Jesus Christ. So quit living temporary, selfish lives that are driven by your desire to fatten your own life and hoard things for yourself, neglecting people because a judgment's coming. Now this is very similar to a lot of the kind of pronouncements that were made by Old Testament prophets saying, you people living in ignorance fail to see that there is one God and he is real. Well, James gives this warning, and we're not really sure why. It sort of pops out of nowhere to these wealthy, lost people. And it's easy for us to point the finger and say, yeah, pay attention, because none of that applies to me, because number one, I'm not wealthy. Number two, I'm not lost. But really, there's a warning in here that we've got to pay attention to. And I want to pull a few things out this morning that I think we really, really need to hear, that James kind of implicitly lays out there. The first one is that our love for the world and our love for stuff and our love for things is usually driven by fear. Now all of us have a love for stuff. Maybe it's not like a love affair, like I have to have things, but we, we really do love stuff. We, we love money. We're in pursuit of money. We love material things. And I know we don't like to use that word because none of us would really admit it, but it's true. We really want things. And, and it's driven by fear. And not fear like I'm afraid of roller coasters or snakes, but fear of like, like real fear, of the fear of the unknown, fear of failure, fear of what people are going to say. Fear of what might happen or what might not happen in the near future. And so I pursue money and I pursue stuff and I pursue things because I think if I have those things, it will protect me from whatever my fears are. Fear of lack, fear of loss, fear of whatever. And it's usually driven by fear. But what I've discovered is that fear, all right, fear is almost always a result of a lack of trust in Jesus. And trust in Jesus, really, when I say that, I'm just talking about the fact that you don't believe that Jesus is enough for your life. See, when we don't believe that Jesus is enough for my heart and for my life, we have a lack of trust, and that lack of trust leads us to a fear. And those things happen quickly. And most of our desire for things is because we don't believe that Jesus is enough for us. And we would never want to say that out loud. But if I want to dress a certain way and have certain things so that I can fit in with a group of people around me, it's usually driven by the fact that I'm not sure Jesus is enough for my life. That I'm not okay with just me and him. 
that I'm driven by what other people think. That if I'm in pursuit of storing up earthly wealth, I mean like really trying to save and save and save dollars, it's usually driven by a fear of what's to come. And that fear of what's to come is usually driven by the fact that I'm not sure I'm okay with just me and Jesus. Not just about Jesus providing and saying, okay, tomorrow I'll have bread, but Jesus really being enough for my life. Our love with stuff, our love of stuff and money in the world is driven by our, really by the fact that most of us do not believe that Jesus is enough for us. And we sing songs all the time, Jesus, you are all I need, Jesus, you are enough for me, and they're meaningless, hollow words. Do you really believe that Jesus is enough for your life? Are you content and joyful with your life in Christ? Because if you have a love affair with the world, I can promise that it probably goes all the way back to the fact that your life in Christ is not complete. James is basically saying this. He's basically saying that you're filling the voids in your life, you wealthy, lost people. You're filling that void with the pursuit of stuff that's driven by your selfishness. And as I was looking at this yesterday and, 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 and the day before, I was really just kind of caught off guard by thinking, my real desire for things, and I don't have a desire for like massive things, but I have a desire for comfort. And my desire for comfort is driven by my, my honest heartbeat that maybe God just isn't enough to sustain me. That's a scary thing. The question I ask you is, is Jesus enough to sustain your life? Listen, the other one is, is saving, okay, so that was the first one. Saving can quickly become hoarding. Now, there is a very fine line between saving and hoarding. And James actually says, you hoard up for yourself, right, things. You hoard things. That's a crazy word because when we think of hoarding, we all think of the show on A&E or Discovery where it's like, you know, I've got mounds of trash and Burger King bags in my none of us live that way but that's not really what James is saying he's not talking about hoarding trash he's talking about hoarding wealth and saving quickly becomes hoarding now I'm not sitting here telling you that saving's wrong I'm not telling you to have a savings account or saving for your kids college or retirement is wrong none of those things but what I am saying is this what is your attitude towards money what is your attitude towards stuff Because saving quickly becomes hoarding. And hoarding is that picture of this is mine, it is for me, and I'm holding on to it. Because I don't know what comes. As followers of Christ, it's not yours, it doesn't belong to you, and you are blessed to even have it. See, saving can quickly become hoarding. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your life. I'm not going to tell you how much in a savings account is enough. And then, but I'm just simply going to ask you this. What's your attitude towards stuff and money? The easy way to figure this out is to ask you this question. What does your giving life look like? I mean, seriously, what does your giving life look like? How much do you give? Who do you give to? And what heartbeat do you use when you give it away? No one really wants to deal with those questions. So we give out of guilt. We always and only usually give out of abundance. And that's just talking about money. What about your life, your time? As followers of Christ, we need to hear this warning. Saving quickly becomes hoarding. And I'm not just talking about a lot. If you have millions and millions of dollars, or if you have 
500 bucks. It's the same attitude. Saving can quickly become hoarding when we use the attitude of saying, this is mine for me. So, what's your giving life look like? The third thing is, don't forget how temporary stuff really is. And I know that we all know this. We can't take it with us, right? You're going to die. I, I mentioned this at this funeral on, uh, uh, or this memorial service on Wednesday. And that is, there's really only one kind of real thing we can hold on to in this world, and that's we're going to die. Every single one of us. There's no way around it. We all know how temporary stuff is. Right? Your stuff is so temporary. James is basically saying, look, moths eat holes in your best clothes. I mean, I got, I've got a nice suit. Got a hole in it. I mean, we, it just happens. That's life. And, 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 and things can happen in the blink of an eye and stuff is gone. Right? Market crashes. Things change. You lose a job. You get laid off. All the stuff that we saved up could be gone in an instant. Right? Stuff is temporary. Why hold so tightly to it? What fear is it covering up? On Friday, my dad would have been 66 years old. Died when I was 23, so 14 years ago. Y'all doing the math? Yes, I'm 37. So. I know, I look 22, 37. He died 14 years ago on Friday. He would have been 66. Do you not think that I would give everything that I have stored up for one more week with him? Everything. Now, I don't have a lot store. I ain't got a lot, but I'd give it all for one week. What really matters in your life? I meet people all the time that are saying, I work so hard so my kids can have a good life. Well, if your kids don't know you and you don't know them, is that a good life? I mean, really? Spend time on the things that matter. I mean, seriously, think about your life. What are you focusing your energy on? Why is there anxiety about what you don't have? It's temporary. Start putting your energy into things that matter. I don't think we can hear this enough as followers of Christ. Where are you spending the heart amount of your time? Matthew, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? So much of our fear and anxiety is created around worldly things that will not last. I mean, do you remember where that pair of Jerbo jeans you bought in 1991 are? Spent $100 on them. I know that's cheap now, but man, I had a sweet pair of purple Jerbo jeans. I did. I rocked them. I have no idea where they are. I mowed like 400 lawns for those jeans. Gone. Right? Just spend time on what matters. I mean, we've got to listen to this. I mean, what matters in your life? Your kids? Your parents? Your family? What matters? Stuff is temporary. Quit letting it cause you so much anxiety. Enjoy the life that God has given you. And then finally, our pursuit of stuff and security and things can cause us to go blind. This is basically what James is saying. He's going, listen, you're pursuing your life, you're self-indulgent, your luxury, and you have neglected the very people in your life that have worked so hard to give it to you. See, I really believe that when we get wrapped up in our pursuit of things, our pursuit of life, our pursuit of money, our pursuit of comfort and security, we go blind. We literally and figuratively go blind to the people and the plight of people around us. We become disengaged from the rest of the world. It no longer matters to us that X number of children die, the thousands upon thousands every day because of lack of clean water. It no longer kind of resonates with us 
that one in five children in Oklahoma will go to bed hungry tonight. When we get so wrapped up in our own issues, our own concerns, our own pursuit of our own self-indulgent luxury life, we go blind. We go blind to the hurts of the people around us. And this is not just a wealth thing, it's a, it's a selfish thing. When we get so wrapped up in our own lives, we forget about the people around us and how their hearts are breaking. We become so introspective that we don't see the heart of the person breaking next to us at work because their husband walked out on them. We forget or literally go blind to the world. That's exactly what James is saying. We go blind. See, but most of us have, have, believe a lie. Here's the lie that we believe. If I was rich, I would give so much money away. Like, I've told myself that a billion times. Lord, if I won the lottery, I'd be the biggest giver you've ever seen. I mean, this would be all. We've all told ourselves that we're, if we were rich, we would give so much money away. Right? We've all said that. Man, if, if I won the lottery and I got $100 million, I would be throwing hundreds out my car window. I mean, I would be the man. You know, it's a lie, and you want to know why it's a lie? Because you're rich and you give almost nothing away now. You see, the problem is your definition of rich and God's definition of rich are very different. You're just not rich enough for you. See, I, I tell myself this all the time, Lord, if we just had more money, I would give a lot more of it away. Got, you know, the, the problem is, is that I've got plenty of money. I just don't give it away. This is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, don't keep waiting for your financial world to get all put in its perfect peace and then decide you're going to start living with a, an opening, open eye to the world. It's not going to happen. Giving doesn't come out of abundance. Giving comes out of a love for Jesus and a, eyes open to the world. Sadly, we've created churches that live in the same category as well. Once I get my financial life in order and we get our programs built and our buildings are done, then we'll give to the marginalized, the poor, and the broken. It's the same lie that we believe as people that we've sold to our churches. And the lie is, well, it's really one that will cause us to go blind to the world. What's your giving life look like? I mean, do you see what James is getting at here? That this pursuit of stuff and money and things, I mean, I mean, really, when you begin to create anxiety and fear over those things, you're just demonstrating a, a real lack in trust in Jesus and really just saying, God, you're not enough for me. Saving quickly becomes hoarding, and we get focused on the temporary, and we go blind to the world around us. So sometimes when I hear things like this, it's really easy to just sort of shrug them off. In fact, as I was going through this, I was going, man, those are good words, and I need to hear those, Lord, and, but I know they're not going to affect me. So here's what I decided to do. I'm going to give you a challenge. All right, as we kind of wrap this up and get ready to go in and celebrate communion. I want to give you a challenge, and I'm going to give you a very specific challenge, and probably 80% of you, I'll say 90% of you won't do it. But I'm going I'm to go ahead and risk and ask you to try it anyway, Okay? And that's this. This week, I want you to find something of great value in your life, and I want you to give it away. Now, I'm not going to define value for you. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But I want you to give something of great value away. I don't want you to go through your closet and pick out all the clothes you don't use and give those away. I don't want you to write the check. You're already supposed to write the church and give it away. It does not count. 
I want you to find something in your life of value and give it away. And it does not have to be money. Maybe it's time. Maybe you've worked your tail off. Maybe you time you need to take a staycation, take a week off and spend it with your kids the day they get out of school. Maybe you need to spend time with your spouse. Maybe you need to take that one thing that you've been holding and saving and longing for and give it to your son, finally. I want you to take something in your life of great value and I want you to give it away. It does not have to be to that homeless person on the corner. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That's for you and the Lord to deal, but it can be to anybody. Just give it away. And I'm not talking about something that's like, wow, you know, I really like my watch. So I should probably I'm talking about give something of value away that you and the Lord have worked on together. Like ask God to reveal it to you and then give it away. And literally you don't have to explain it. Just look at someone and say, listen, I, I can't really tell you why. I don't even know why, but God is telling me to give this to you. And so here it is. And I'm giving it to you. And define what that is for yourself. Now, a lot of you are sitting here going, yeah, that's pretty good. No, I'm serious. I am dead serious. Because until you're willing to realize that your stuff and your life belong to Jesus, it's not yours to hoard and save, and that the having things of value, they don't fill up for the void that you've created by saying, Jesus, you are not enough for me. So look at the life around you and what you've created and what you've saved and what you've gathered and find something that you hold on so tightly to and intentionally give it away. Just part with it. And if your life falls apart and you completely and totally collapse, come and yell at me. Because I promise you that it will not, it will not. You will not fall apart if you give it away. If you go find that one thing, whatever it is, and you give it to somebody else, your life won't end. So find something in your life of value. Maybe it's material, maybe it's time, maybe it's the word I love you and give it away. Don't do it out of your abundance, and don't do it out of what's extra, but give it away. Even if you're debating it and having a hard time with it, just say yes to Jesus. Because the greatest picture that we've ever seen of giving life away came from the God who gave the life of his son for you. You think that was easy to give away? And right now you're sitting here debating whether or not you should give that purse you bought to your neighbor? And God, the God of creation, gave the life of his son, Jesus, so that you might have life. And you're trying to decide if you should take that extra $200 that you were blessed with and give it away. Do those things even really compare? So find something of value and give it away. Because this table is the picture of what a life given away looks like. And what we celebrate this morning as we celebrate communion is the ultimate sacrifice. That you and all of your mess and me and all of my mess and sinful nature and stuff. That God was so radically in love with us that he gave the life of his son Jesus so that we might know him more. Does that really compare with what you're wrestling with? This table becomes a, quickly becomes a habit in our Christian lives. It quickly becomes something that we do once a month. It quickly becomes a ritual. And I think when we do that, we fail tremendously. This is not a habit. It's not a ritual. This is remembering the single greatest sacrifice that was ever made. It's something that reminds us of exactly who we're not and who God is. 
It's a picture of God's extravagant, extreme, life-changing love for you and for me. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. When we celebrate communion at the Lord's table, we are celebrating the single greatest sacrifice ever made and the one that gives you life. This table is not a denominational table. It's not a super special table. It's just open for anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. It is the picture of God's extravagant love. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus invites all who are weary and burdened, all who are heavy laden, to come and find rest for their soul. That's the invitation here. To lay your burden down and say yes to Jesus. And just say thank you, God, for giving me life. Let's pray.